Hey Dirty Birders, John here. First and foremost, thank you so much for listening, and I apologize for the long gap in episodes recently. I don't especially like doing episodes over Skype and Zoom. The sound quality isn't the best, and it's just not the same energy as when you're talking to someone face-to-face. However, with quarantine slowly easing up, I have some great episodes planned with some of my favorite returning guests and also brand new co-hosts. And today we have exactly that. Chris Caracciolo returns to the show via Zoom to talk about Cardinals with me and brings a new guest to Dirty Bird, the charming Anna Menendez. So sit back and enjoy. Oh, and one more thing. The musician who made the theme song for the podcast, Ricky Pistone, has also made an amazing music video to go along with it. Find it on YouTube by typing in Dirty Bird Podcast Theme Song. Also, it's posted on Dirty Bird Podcast Instagram and Facebook pages. Check it out. Dirty Bird Podcast contains foul language and is not appropriate for young fledglings. Listener discretion is advised. Our intro music is brought to you by Ricky Pistone, a.k.a. Dick Piston. And our outro music is brought to you by the Sidewalk Slammers. Check them out wherever you get your music. Are you looking for a podcast today? With ornithology and humor you crave? Well, I know all these guys and it's birds they like. It's Dirty Bird. Yeah, they're just a couple guys who really like birds. It's Dirty Bird. Yeah, they're pretty dirty, but they really like birds. Well, do you want to start? Let's do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Welcome to Dirty Bird. This is a special Zoom edition with Chris and Anna. And Chris is one of our returning guests. Chris, introduce yourself. Yes, I'm uh, Chris Prasco, also known as Little Chris. And uh, yeah, this will be my second episode. Yep, Chris first premiered on Nice Tips with us, and uh, now he's back for another special episode on Cardinals. Yeah. I want to give a shout out to Jen for the idea to talk about Cardinals, and also Chris is joined by Anna. Anna, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Anna Menendez, um, also known as Anna Menendez. Um, yeah, and I'm here joining the Dirty Bird podcast, my first podcast ever. So, Welcome. We're happy to have you. Yeah, and it's it's awesome to have Chris and Anna with me today. Um, this episode, I do have to confess, is kind of a re-record because Chris and I did one, but I fucked up the microphone, and so it's just an hour of me talking to myself, and you can't hear Chris at all. So maybe we'll release that as a Patreon episode. I don't know. If anyone wants to hear me talk to myself for an hour, then there we go. <laughs> Well, imagine when I would say that. You can have a conversation with you. Ooh. Anyone can just have a conversation with you. Like a fill in the back. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's how you can advertise it. <laughs> so uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, the Northern Cardinal, which like, I was kind of almost avoiding talking about because it's just like a really common bird and, you know, you see it everywhere. And so I was like, oh, like, no one wants to hear about the Northern Cardinal. Everyone knows everything about it. But 
I got the idea for it from Jen when I asked people about, you know, what birds they wanted to hear about. And uh, through doing my research, there's actually a lot of really cool stuff that I didn't know. So uh, Chris already knows some of this stuff. It's nice having Anna, though, because this will all be new to her. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so, Chris, you can still act surprised, though, when I talk yeah. about, like... Yeah, I might have forgotten a few of the things you told me, so... <laughs> let's go ahead and just uh jump right into it so the northern cardinal its genus species name is cardinalis cardinalis so super easy and descriptive there uh, and, it, and then it's in the family cardinalidae so yeah just card cardinal all the way down and the cardinals related to uh, birds such as grosbeaks, tanagers, buntings. They all have those big, thick beaks that the cardinal has. <laughs> and then uh, within its genus, Cardinalis, there's three other species. There's the, well, northern cardinal. There's the Pyrholuxia, which looks a lot like a northern cardinal, like kind of like a desert Mad Max version. And then there's also the Vermilion Cardinal, which is native to Colombia and Venezuela. Ooh. So those are my closest relatives. Oh. Um, and the Northern Cardinal has gone by a lot of names. Um, I'm just looking at the John James Audubon, his uh, descriptions of it, and he calls it the Cardinal Grosbeak, actually. And he also notes that it is known by names of Redbird, Virginia Nightingale, Cardinal Bird, uh, and Cardinal Grosbeak. I kind of like Virginia Nightingale. Yeah, like uh, Redbird. I, I was going to say that one's the most great. Straight to the point. You're just like, oh, it's a Redbird. It's yeah. a Redbird. I have no idea where Virginia Nightingale comes from because the Nightingale doesn't look anything like the Cardinal. So I don't, I don't know. Almost like another bird, and they were saying, like, this is Virginia's version of this. Yeah. The nightingale. Yeah, the nightingale is like a European bird. Um, I don't know, maybe its song is similar or something, but. You know, are they red? No. They're oh, like. Oh, doesn't make any sense. Yeah, who says that? <laughs> yeah, they don't look the same at all. So I don't know, whatever. They were, they were called uh, cardinals by colonists um, when they came over here because the like red crest of the male cardinal um, looks similar to the red beretta that's worn by Catholic cardinals. So that kind of made sense. Mm -hmm. So named after the Catholic cardinal. Yeah, yeah, it's named after the hat they would wear. Kind of the Cherokee name for it, uh, the, the Native American names for it, we either kind of like omnipotent, I why can't I speak? Omnipotent, uh, like based on the call, or they would just call it red bird. Like yeah. in their language. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you guys are calling from Virginia. And what's Anna? What's the state bird of Virginia? Cardinal. Yes. It's also the state bird of six other states. It's a really popular bird for it's yeah. So it um, it's the state bird for the most states. Um, so oh. Virginia, we said um, also Illinois, Indiana, Kentucky, North Carolina, West Virginia, where I'm calling from, and Ohio. Um, yep, the 
Uh, Western Meadowlark almost beats it out. The Western Meadowlark is a state bird of six states, but Cardinal has it beat by one. Yeah. So. Seven, seven Cardinal Sins is another thing. Whoa! I didn't even think of that. Yeah. I wonder if it's related. Seven Cardinal Sins. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Seven Cardinal Sins. So, Anna, Anna, as we go through this and describe the Cardinal's behavior, you have to point out each one of the seven <laughs> sins it committed. Oh, I gotta memorize my sins because I don't know. <laughs> We'll, we'll definitely get to the lost part, for sure. <laughs> That's probably Kentucky, I feel like. What? Wait, oh, no, no. So you're saying each state has its yeah. one cardinal sin? Okay. Wait, well, are, there, are there seven types of cardinal birds? Uh, there's actually, like, 19 subspecies. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. But the uh, the eastern cardinal, the one that the eastern northern cardinal, the one that is in all the you know states that it's a state bird of, that that's all the same subspecies. So it's not like different subspecies in each state. That would be cool though if each state had a little different subspecies oh, that resembled one of the seven cardinal sins. <laughs> I think West Virginia would definitely be sloth because we're one of the fattest states in the nation. So if you like. Yeah. Is it sloth or, or gluttony? gluttony. Or gluttony. Mm, yeah. yeah. Combo. What are all those things? Like, There's, uh, it's lust, envy, gluttony, rat. envy, wrath. You got to go back and watch that movie. Yeah. Seven. Seven. <laughs> What's in the box? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, so moving on from <laughs> from that tangent. <laughs> um, so the cardinal, the reason why it's kind of such a popular bird is because that bright red color, it's very prominent. And then it's also just a common year-round resident all over the southeastern U.S. Uh, its range extends down into the Midwest, into Texas, and Mexico. And then also it's in parts of the southwest of the U.S. too. I was kind of really surprised to see that it also extends along the Gulf and Pacific coast of Mexico and into part of Central America also. I kind of always thought it was just like an American bird, but you know, it extends into Mexico and Central America. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I would have never, I would never expect to see a cardinal anywhere like, honestly, like south of here almost. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. It seem like it's a, Definitely like Mexico, like into the tropical areas, so you never expect a, a cardinal. But. Yeah, yeah, and it's kind of crazy. Like it um, covers a wide like range of biomes, from deserts to tropical forests to like the temperate forests we have in the southeastern U.S. Here, um, but within those biomes, it lives in a similar habitat. It likes to live on like forest edges or where there's shrubs um, or in small trees. So it kind of finds the same habitat within these varied biomes and is able to thrive in them, which is pretty cool. I kind of wanted to read this like little poem story thing. Um, this is from a guy, um, Alberto Manguel. Um, mm -hmm. And this kind of factors into like how common the Cardinal is and like how kind of, I don't know, he almost like, relates it to like a trite literary concept like the fact that there's just like 
you know, you always see the calendars of cardinals and like cards with the cardinal on it, you know, and so we're just kind of like desensitized to them almost. Um, but he kind of still finds some wonder in them. Um, and what he says here is, um, outside my window is a cardinal. There is no way of writing this sentence without dragging in its toe whole libraries of literary illusions. I wonder, corrupt with reading, if there ever was a moment when this sentence, outside my window is a cardinal, was not an artifice, when the blood red bird on a steel blue tree was quietly surprising and nothing urged me to translate it, to domesticate it into textual enclosure, to become its literary taxidermist. I wonder if there ever was a moment when a cardinal outside my window sat there in blazing splendor, signifying nothing. Oh, yeah, I liked it too, because he's kind of like trying to take a like step back from just the cardinal being ubiquitous and everywhere and kind of viewing it with new eyes. And I kind of did this exercise with Chris before too, but um, like if you look at it, like next time you see a cardinal or see a picture of a cardinal, try to look at it like you're like an explorer and you just landed and you see this bird. And it's like kind of like a pretty crazy looking thing. It's got this giant orange beak. It's got this big old crest sticking out of its head like a cockatoo or something. And then it's just this like crimson blood red color. And, uh, and then the male has that just distinct black face mask. Like he's like painted his face or something. And, and, um, and it's pretty, and then they're like super, the calls are super loud, like echoing and everything. Like, if you had just seen this, you would have been like, oh my God, this is like the most amazing thing ever. But then they're in the backyard and so everyone's like, eh, it's just a cardinal. Yeah, they're very difficult to miss because they're so bright and vibrant. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of like their strategy. You know, the male is super bright like that so that he's kind of distracting away from the the female and everything. But I also want to point out too, is that um, I'm kind of like bored with male cardinals a little bit. I really like to look <laughs> at the females a lot because like the males, they all look the same. They're this like bright red color. Okay, cool. But like the females, they're like way more like subtle. Like they each kind of have like their own hairdo, like their crest <laughs> like will be like a little different. And then they'll like, sometimes they'll have more red on their wings or on their tail or on their face. So like each female cardinal is like drastically different and the males yeah. are just all ubiquitous, you know, like they're all just like wearing shorts and a t-shirt. Like, you know, and, like, <laughs> you the females like, cardinal, you see them all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um Anna, what kind of what kind of stuff do you want to know about cardinals? Um well there's do you want I don't know. know. It's hard to know what I don't know. So like I could talk about their evolution, I could talk about why they're red. I yes, talk, okay. yeah, talk about the colors. That, why they're red. That was yeah. one of the most interesting parts when we uh Is it like a, yeah, like a power statement because red it's hair. really it's actually really interesting. Authoritative color. Yeah. Mm. Red. The color definitely <laughs> is important. Oh yes, yes, that's what I want to know. I want to know everything. <laughs> well, word, let's go into it. So, um, there's kind of two different ways that birds can get their color. Um, Chris, do you remember the two ways? Yes. One of them is their diet. I, for, I forget the, the word, but it's the those the color. Stuff. What is? I can't You're doing great. 
the color is the color. That's all I got. No, you're good. So there's um two there's pigmented colors and structural colors. And so did you know that? <laughs> so structural colors are like um any color blue you see on a bird is a structural color. It's made from the actual structure of the feather kind of interacting with uh, the light, the interface of the light to then bounce off and, and look like blue to you. But there's like nothing, there's no like blue pigment in the feather. And this is like, if you look at like a crow or something, you know how to look all iridescent and shiny. Yes. Yeah, it's the same thing, but like structural colors. Whereas uh, pigmented colors are actual like pigments deposited um, in the feathers. And that comes from their diet. Uh, and so yeah. there's three types of pigment, carotenoids, melanins, and porphyrins. Ooh. And really the carotenoids are what we're going to be talking about. The uh, different species of birds kind of have different like metabolic pathways to use carotenoids in different ways to produce yellow yeah. or orange or red. We can kind of like manipulate these, um, the metabolic pathways though in the lab by feeding birds um, food that contains only certain carotenoids. Um, for example, uh, there was a study where they fed captive goldfinches, uh, lots of stuff that contained a lot of red carotenoids, and they found that the goldfinches turned kind of like an orangey wash color. So they started to like incorporate those red carotenoids in. Actually, this happens um, in the wild too, because there's a plant called Moro's honeysuckle, and it was introduced from Asia and it's kind of spread all over a, a lot of like the, um, I think Southeastern US, but cedar waxwings like to eat a lot of its seeds and berries and stuff. And it, it contains a lot of red carotenoids and cedar waxwings used to kind of have this yellow tail retrocy, like this tail band that was yellow. And since they've eaten so much red carotenoids, it's orange now on a lot of them. So it can alter like, in the wild, what they eat too can alter their color. Audubon kind of talks about this too because he is a friend who would catch cardinals and then keep them in like wicker baskets and he would feed them hemp seed and corn. <laughs> and on this diet, I mean, they lived and were fine, but he noticed <laughs> that they were really pale. They weren't that bright red color. They would just. Oh. Formally, yeah, I know, kind of sad. <laughs> um, <laughs> Depleting them of their color yeah. to the corn. <laughs> yep. So um, scientists kind of did this too in the lab where they took captive cardinals and they fed them only sunflower, red millet, and white millet. And basically, like, if you go buy cheap seed at the store and you'll get, like, sunflower in those little, like, balls, you know, mm -hmm. um, this, that's basically what these scientists were feeding these captive cardinals um, is, like, the cheap seed you get at the store. It's because sunflower, red millet, and white millet only contains yellow carotenoids. Um, and so they were kind of seeing what would happen to these birds if they were only fed yellow carotenoids. So they, you know, let the birds eat for a while and develop and stuff. And then they took some of their feathers and um, measured uh, different levels of chemicals in them. And comparing them to wild cardinals, wild cardinals in their, in their bright red feathers, you can find four carotenoids. Canthaxanthin and astaxanthin are the first two. And those uh, two, I, I want to point out because I mentioned them in my spoonbill episode, um, Forking with Spoonbills, check it out, about the roseate spoonbill, which is like a pink red bird, kind of similar to a flamingo. 
And that's the two carotenoids that they use to color themselves pink and red. Um, flamingos also use that canthaxanthin to make themselves pink. The cardinals also have two other chemicals, adonarubin and alpha-doradexanthin. They use that to color themselves that nice blood red. And um, although the diet of these captive cardinals didn't contain any of those chemicals, they found that the captive birds still had all four of those pigments that are normally found in the wild birds in their feathers. However, um, morphologically, like just looking at them, they were like a more pale, like pink, red, dull red compared to the wild ones. And the reason they think that is, is because even though they had the pigments, they were able to take the yellow precursor chemicals and kind of turn them into the red ones. They didn't have as much of them, so they weren't able to concentrate them the way the wild birds do. So it really kind of shows you how diet really factors into uh, how a bird is able to color itself. <laughs> and also, if you're just feeding your birds the cheap stuff, it's not going to give you the most colorful birds. Oh. Yeah, when you and, see and they are like, oh, looking quite as bright as Well, pro probably most likely you wouldn't really notice it in your yard uh, because um, when they are starting to like shed their feathers and, and grow new ones, um, molting their feathers, I guess I should say, they will increase their consumption of fruit um, in their diet because a lot of fruits contain more red pigments or, or more of the precursors that they need to make the red pigments. And one of the big ones for that is the state tree of Virginia, Anna. You know this one? I do. I think so. I think it's both the state tree and the state flower. It is, you're right. I was going to say that. I was going to say that. Yeah. Um, you need to give me a little. Sorry. <laughs> This is a fun fact. You probably already know this. Chris is really, really bad with hands. Like, I'll ask for a hand <laughs> of something, like, oh, do you know this? And I'll ask for a hand, and he'll just give me the hands. So, I knew, I knew it was dog work. <laughs> okay, we'll count it. We'll count it as a as a two for two for you on state. <laughs> Actually, three for three because it's state tree and state flower. So. Ooh, yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. I have a question, though, if that's cool. <laughs> um, so if the female cardinal eats enough of the pigmented nutrition, um, will they change into a bright color like the male birds or no? I highly doubt it. I think that they're, uh, they, they're just the way that their metabolic pathways are. It just won't happen. And mm -hmm. the reason I can kind of say that surely is we'll talk about later. Oh. Yeah, we'll talk later um, about an example why I'm like, yeah, they, there's totally just something different, uh, you know, genetically with their metabolic pathways where they don't put on the red the same way that the males do. Wait for it. Wait for <laughs> it. It's probably the best fact of this show. <laughs> that was, yeah. <laughs> just kidding. But speaking about like, um, you know, your cardinal at your feeder eating too much of the cheap stuff and not getting, you know, good nutrients for bright colors. Um, there was a study in 2010 I saw that they did find that urban cardinals are duller on average than uh, cardinals in more rural areas. Ooh. Also, um, I want to bring up color too because the brighter the male's red color is, studies have found that it's associated with more reproductive success. 
That is fascinating. Yeah, we were trying to... So, yeah, why do you think that is, Anna? Why do you think the brighter... The more reproductive a bird is, the brighter they are? Is that the... Well, yeah, the brighter the bird is, the more reproductive success it has, the more like likely it is to have offspring. Why do you think that is? Um, the bright colors are very attractive. No! Yeah, you can guess again if you want. Okay, okay. Um, does it have a direct correlation to the food that they eat? Mm. Yeah, so possibly. So yeah, um, the intuitive answer is, okay, the more brightly colored the male is, the female sees him as like, oh, hunka hunka, you know? Bright things. Yeah, yeah, women like shiny things, right? (laughs) (laughs) But no, that's, uh, no study has been able to prove that yet. Um, However, there's been some like other things shown, like for example, Male cardinals tend to be the ones that feed their young. Um, actually, from my 1930s uh, handy-dandy National Geographic book here, uh, it says that um, during the entire time when they're nesting, the male is attentive, often feeding her on the nest as well as feeding the young. With comical seriousness, he usually takes charge of the young when they leave home and the female starts building another nest. So. Uh, the male is really responsible for feeding the young, and they found that the young seem to uh, eat more food from a brighter colored male. So that might factor in that it's something with programmed in with the nestlings. When they see a bright colored male, they're more likely to like take food from it, eat, get strong, and survive. And then also some other theories are that a male that has access to a more varied diet and better food is going to be brighter. And then also he'll be stronger just in general and be able to compete for a better territory, fight off other males, and is more likely to breed. So we're not totally sure uh, what the reason is. Uh, I'll go ahead and bring up here, there's a lot of stuff we're still like learning about cardinals, even though they're so common. And since they're so common, and since they have really well-defined territories, like you can even easily become, dear listener, you can easily become a like amateur scientists and research, you know, the behavior of your cardinals, how much young they have, what their successful rate is, when they mate, when they, you know, do whatever, and uh, you'll really be contributing to science. So, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I should, I should. I have a red journal, so Ooh, it may work. And also another theory, too, is that the bright, brighter color of males um, having more reproductive success uh, the brighter color might totally be male driven. Like the females seem not to really care about it. It might be just the males that care about the like, oh, that, you know, when they fight and compete for territory, it might be like, oh, that guy's brighter than me. So, you know, he must be stronger. So I'll let him have the good territory. And uh, it's just, it's just a bunch of dudes flexing and the chicks are like, I, I, I just like his personality. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Speaking about cardinal color, I guess I'll go in. Anna, have you ever seen in the news about yellow cardinals? I have seen yellow cardinals in, yeah, like in pictures and stuff, but not in real life. Yeah. So um, after, and I want to make sure, um, so I'm not talking about the yellow cardinal, which is a different species in South America. These are actual northern cardinals that are yellow instead of red. And after uh, I, I did that whole description about why they're red, how they form the red color, 
color. So why do you think that these ones are yellow? They eat yellow pigmented food. Um, well, remember, remember that other experiment, they fed the cardinals yellow pigment food and they still were able to make red pigments. So oh, that's right. why would they be yellow? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to defer back to you, John. <laughs> Passing the baton back. All right. <laughs> Give me the talking stick. Um, so, uh, so yes, yeah, so these yellow cardinals pop up in the um, news every once in a while. There's been one spotted in Ohio, Kentucky, Florida, Alabama, and it's actually a condition called xanthochromism. And what it is, is they're deficient in an enzyme that's needed to convert the yellow pigments to the red pigments. And so the yellow pigments just build up and they're like canary yellow. Um, and this is actually seen in other members of their family too, in, in Carnalidae, um, like rose-breasted grosbeak sometimes can, can turn yellow. Um, and birds like tanagers too, that normally are red, can sometimes be yellow if they're deficient in, in an enzyme. Um, we think that the enzyme is for oxygenase because basically they have to perform like a oxidation reaction to turn the yellow pigments into red pigments. And what they do is they accumulate high amounts of this chemical called lutein, which is a yellow pigment and like the yellow birds that you see in your backyard, all these warblers coming through with yellow and a lot of other yellow birds, what gives them their yellow colors is chemical lutein. And so normally red birds are able to turn that lutein into red pigment, but these ones with xanthochromism can't. So that's what happens. Ooh, so they're very rare then, I take it. Yeah, so they're, they're, yeah, it is a rare disorder, but the thing is, is there's a, a lot of cardinals. There's, their population is 120 million globally, and about like 75, 80% of those are in the United States. So that's why they keep popping up in states, because even if this only occurs in like, you know, one in, one in a million or something, that still means there's going to be 120 of them flying around. And like yeah. a yellow cardinal is pretty prominent at your backyard feeder. So yeah. the fact that they, yeah, I mean, I bet this occurs kind of in the same rate in other birds, just they're not always in our backyard. So we don't mm -hmm. see them as much. Yeah. Have you ever seen a yellow cardinal? I, just I have not. I would love to see a yellow cardinal. If anyone listening out there has seen a yellow cardinal, let me know, <laughs> write in. Maybe we'll get our first listener mail. <laughs> Dirtyverb podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> That's the best kind of email. <laughs> my first uh, Gmail was bald eagle fan eight. Oh. We should... Do you still remember the password? Oh heck yeah, I still use it to this day. Okay, cool. Bald yeah. Eagle Fan 8, I will send an email to you from Dirty Bird Podcast. <laughs> I respond, Dirty Bird Podcast. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, I'll hold that dear to my heart. <laughs> do, I need to, do I need to cut that out so you don't get, I, well, no one's going to email me. No one emails me. No one will email you. <laughs> so I never let you sign up for a new Wi-Fi or something and you have to put in your email. Oh, you sure so I, I defer all the junk to that email. But mm. I would, yeah, you should. Bald Eagle, should, Bald Eagle Fan 8 okay. at Gmail. Um, yeah, my first email was AOL, that same handle, and then I switched to Gmail for some reason. I wanted to keep Bald Eagle Fan 8. So. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, um, I have another weird cardinal mutation to talk about. And this one will answer your question about like the, you know, why doesn't the female, if she eats the same things, get red mm -hmm. like the male. Okay, okay. So there's a thing that has been observed in cardinals called bilateral gynandromorphism. And yeah, no, yeah, sounds like a Power Ranger or something. <laughs> what it is, bilateral gynandromorphism is literally split down the half of the cardinal. One side is female and one side is male. Whoa. Yeah. So like once. Whoa. Yeah. It's crazy. One side will be all bright red and then the other side will be like the more dull female colored. And even when they dissect them, there's a testicle on one side and an ovary on the other. What? Do they reproduce? So no, it's like small little shrunken ones. They can't reproduce. And um, they're kind of like really um, behaviorally kind of confused. Like they won't really like sing, but they'll like listen to calls and like, I don't know. I kind of feel bad for them, you know, like. It's so sad, that identity crisis. Definitely. And this is not just cardinals that get this. Um, uh, it's it's kind of common in insects for some reason. And then also uh, it's been observed in um, other birds and I think chimpanzees also. It has never been documented in humans though. Oddly enough, the male side is usually on the right and the female side is usually on the left. Hmm. But how the hell do you think this happens, Anna? The birds? Yeah. Um, do you know this also? Hmm. Um, you know, I, I can't even theorize. <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't understand either. I was like, did like a bird get chopped in half and then like put together? Or something? <laughs> so yeah. together. <laughs> but no, um, so what happens is very early on in development when like there are just a few cells, very few, like two to four cells, something happens where there's unequal split of the sex chromosomes and and your body kind of develops like along a midline and then splits off kind of from the middle. That's like just how we, that's why we're like, you know, symmetrical, you know, like hand on each side, eye on each side, all that kind of stuff. And so basically what happens is one side of them is just populated with all like, you know, XX and the other one is all XY cells. And it's the same, you know, individual, same organism, but just the cells evolve as different, a different sex on each side. Is yeah. there a brain split? It's, do their brains split as well? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I really don't. I don't joined almost, but like two in one. I'm, I yeah, didn't split down the center. Is the brain in the center? <laughs> I think their brain, uh, from what I saw from the autopsy results, the brain looks, you know, normal. But mm -hmm. I'm sure there's kind of probably some weird, I mean, ha behaviorally, they're pretty confused. Like they don't really know whether they're male or female. So I'm sure there's kind of some competing brain centers there and everything. Ooh. Yeah. Because they're like, wait, do I want to fight? And Do I want to fight and defend territory? Do I want to sit on eggs? Like, what the hell am I doing? Oh, uh, they're struggling really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they've never been observed to mate in the wild or anything like that. So... And they're, they're a pretty rare thing. The one I saw was found in, uh, in Lake Erie. There's not many. I think they're even rarer than the yellow cardinals. So, but mm -hmm. be on the lookout.
I will. That would be like, bird, yeah. Yeah, that'd be crazy. Does that happen in other bird species? Yes, it has happened in other bird species too. And other it's happened in other animals too. Right. Apparently it happens a lot in insects, but no documented cases in people. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Do you think it's in our future as a species? At some point, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> <He's a doctor. laughs> um, uh, so what, what do you want to hear about now? Um, I can talk about the evolution of cardinals. I could just talk about them in general, their mating and, and what, what Okay, the evolution. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, so kind of like how all our songbirds in America kind of started. So basically like back when birds first evolved from dinosaurs, there was kind of a split into um, two different orders of birds. And these ones called the subossines were in, um, uh, in America uh, a lot. And uh, they mostly, a lot of them specialized in kind of ground feeding. They weren't like our songbirds, you know, perching in trees and singing, although some did kind of adapt to that. Um, however, around, um, uh, in the Miocene, about 20 million years ago, the ancestors of singing perching birds in the Americas crossed over the Beringian land bridge, um, which, you know, is like connecting like Siberia to Alaska and everything. And they kind of gradually dispersed through um, North America. And then um, 13 million years ago, the Panama land bridge started to close. And that allowed species from both South America to come to North America and North America to South America. So through the, that kind of mixing is how these ancestors of the Cardinal ended up in South America. Um, but also there were series of glaciations happening throughout these millions and hundreds, thousands of years. And this may have kind of helped to push um, a lot of bird species more South and, and encourage them to kind of cross into South America. Our last glacial maximum was about 30,000 to 20,000 years ago. And at that time, there were ice sheets extending down to the Missouri and Ohio rivers. Um, this is also the same ice sheets uh, that trapped early humans when they were migrating from Siberia to Alaska. They kind of got trapped in a, on a Beringia, this landmass, and they were literally like stuck there for about 5,000 to 15,000 years. We're not exactly sure. Yeah, yeah, this is kind of crazy. <laughs> but this also happened to a lot of birds too. When the glaciers came down, a lot of birds were kind of stuck in different areas, which allowed them to kind of form new species or new subspecies. And this kind of happened with cardinals too. So um, the resource I use for looking at evolution, uh, one zoom tree of life, it says that the family Cardinalidae formed about 14.3 million years ago. And that's the family that contains like the buntings, tanagers, grosbeaks. Um, I will say not all grosbeaks, not all tanagers, not all buntings are related to cardinals. You know, these no nomenclatures from back in the day when before we had mitochondrial DNA analysis, <laughs> all that crap. But some of those species are in with the cardinals. The northern cardinal itself split off from its closest ancestor, the vermilion cardinal, about three million years ago. So that's kind of when it became its own distinct species. We think during that last glacial maximum, the cardinal kind of got stuck in little pockets in the eastern United States. 
And then once the glaciers um, receded, it was able to kind of spread out a lot more. That's why it's found so, so far across its range in the southeastern uh, United States. And we think that, uh, I said there's 19 subspecies. They're kind of uh, scattered across tons of areas. Like they're on some island, uh, they're on the Mexican Pacific coast, Sonoran, Peninsular Deserts, Yucatan Peninsula, Cozumel, Tres Marias Islands, each kind of have their own little subspecies. Uh, that kind of comes from glaciation and also them being separated by natural barriers. So it's not as totally straightforward that just a northern cardinal is a northern cardinal. There's like a ton of different differentiation. And actually, there's kind of some argument to split them up into two species, um, especially the cardinals in the Sonoran and the Chihuahuan deserts, um, because they were separated by glacial cycles way back in the Pleistocene. Um, which uh, when the uplifting of the Sierra Madre mountain range happened. Right now they're separated by about 200 kilometers of like high plateau desert that they don't cross over, they don't interbreed, like nothing. And they even have different distinct songs. There's been experiments where scientists will go out um, in these different deserts and play songs from different subspecies of cardinals and the other cardinals like don't respond to them at all, almost as if it was a different species. So, that's mm. kind of, yeah, it's kind of an argument that they're a different species, but uh, they're not currently recognized as that. Yeah, and they were just separated by mountain range, and they wouldn't even like recognize those calls. Yeah, they think that about six hundred thousand to a million years ago was when these well, these species kind of stopped interacting. These subspecies did. So, so time and becoming species. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it kind of um, sticks out a little more when you look at cardinals that are kind of invasive species. For example, in Hawaii, in 1929 to 1931, 300 to 350 cardinals were shipped from San Francisco and released in Kauai, Oahu, and the Big Hawaiian Islands. Now, there's no cardinals in San Francisco, so they had to be, like, shipped from somewhere. As they've done mitochondrial analysis on these cardinals, they, they seem to be the eastern subspecies. So they think that, like, around a city like Philadelphia or something, someone caught a bunch of cardinals, shipped them on a train to San Francisco, and I don't know. Someone had this idea to bring <laughs> cardinals to Hawaii. It's not really clear who. But wow. They really are Hawaii is missing something. Yeah, <laughs> this is like so much work to do to bring an invasive species. I don't know why they did it. Some rich person moved to Hawaii and was like, I really miss seeing cardinals in my backyard. So, <laughs> See, the asshole thing though, though, is they didn't just introduce them in their backyard. They went to two other islands and see them too. Everyone's going to want to see So the interesting thing now is, you know, we're what, like, uh, almost almost 100 years out from when they were first introduced. And there's a huge difference between cardinals on one Hawaiian island and another one. Some of them will have these really long tails. Some of them will have these huge crests or big bills and stuff like that. And so it's kind of interesting that in such a short amount of time, there can be so much difference in these island cardinals. But then like you look at an area like Eastern United States, 
which is a, a huge encompassing area, but when they've done DNA analysis on the cardinals, they're almost like genetically the same, like they're one subspecies, they're not that different, even though they're spread over a huge area. Um, and uh, so that's kind of interesting just how just little barriers of water, you know, or a, a little barrier of desert or something can cause a species to differentiate like that. Wow. But there's got to be some kind of physical barrier, it seems. Yes. Yeah, so that goes into, I said that cardinals are non-migratory. However, they do, they will spread, um, sometimes up to 100 kilometers from where they're born. Especially the young ones will kind of take off and go find a new area. So there's just constant mixing as long as there's no barriers to them spreading. Hmm. Hmm. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Yeah. 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 So it's mm -hmm. kind of kind of interesting and just adds a little bit more interest in, in, in looking at them. Yeah. Everything. I guess I'll go ahead and talk about their um, breeding. So cardinals are socially monogamous, but they'll engage in uh, polygyny. That's where a male will mate with multiple females. Um, also, the female will sometimes sneak off and mate with other males. So they're not totally, you know. <laughs> <laughs> not totally they're not like the brown-headed cowbirds those guys are just you know having sex all over the place <laughs> but the male and female will uh kind of pair up in uh late winter early spring and the male will start defending a territory usually about um half an acre to 6.5 acres in size and he defends it with singing, posturing, pursuing other males. The female also will defend the territory too. Interestingly, the female will defend against other females and the male will defend against other males. <laughs> Their uh, courtship is pretty interesting. Um, they have various displays that they do. The male will do something called a lopsided display where he'll twist his body to show his breast and spread his wings. Ooh. Yeah. They're all He'll also do like a song dance where he'll raise his crest and sway back and forth. They'll also do something called courtship feeding, where um, the female will kind of assume like this like begging posture, kind of the way that uh, a little nestling would, and the male will uh, put food in her beak and feed her. They will do this courtship stuff for a really long time because um, not only do they start defending their territory pretty early in like late winter, but also they can have like up to three broods um, in, a, in a breeding season. So they're kind of constantly nurturing that relationship because they're kind of trying to keep pumping out babies. Um, mm. And I've noticed this too, like way back in early March in, in West Virginia here, I saw um, my two cardinals that come to my feeder um, doing that courtship feeding thing. And they, they're still doing it. Just yesterday, I saw uh, really? the, the male do it to the female. Yeah. That's dedication. Yeah, yeah. So the, Persistent. <laughs> yeah, so whereas a lot of birds will just kind of like real quick, you know, do it and that's it. Um, <laughs> cardinals really kind of stick together. And um, I think this leads to your story about kind of cardinals being symbols of kind of love and relationship. Yeah. Good segue. Cool. That was a good segue. Uh, yeah. So about uh, four years ago, my grandmother passed, um, and she was married to my grandfather for over sixty years. 
um, very symbolic of like what a everlasting love looks like in my opinion. Um, and so when my grandmother passed, my granddad was, you know, obviously not in the greatest condition or like mental, you know, state. And he ended up moving in with my uncle in Texas. And it was this past winter. He was kind of feeling lonely, very low. Like he is away from like most of his family, which is in Florida. And then he lost his wife and all this stuff. So he was feeling just down. And then all of a sudden, like every morning, he would wake up to this very insistent pecking on his window. So he got up one day and he looked at it and it was just this very bright red cardinal. And it was just, you know, showing his, his wings and just very uh, insistent on seeing my grandfather. And it was really cool. And then the next day, my granddad woke up and it kept happening. Uh, like every day at the same time, this bird would come visit him. And it, it was just crazy that this bird was so interested in meeting my granddad and like just trying to make communication with him. And then I ended up looking it up and it's basically, you know, when, when a past one transitions into the next life to see uh, and like to check in on their loved ones and stuff, uh, ending a cardinal is like one of the things that they do, I guess, but it was really cool to see, and it's it lifted my grandfather's spirits, and he was very happy, because he, he very much believes it's a message from my grandmother, um, and so it, it keeps him in good spirits. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. That's a really sweet story. Yeah, it was, it was great. Like, he, one of my, my uncle posted a video on Facebook about it, uh, and my granddad was just talking to him. I know it's like my grandmother, we called her Lolly. Um, Lolly and Papa are their names. But yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was really sweet because he just says how beautiful it is and he's talking to my grandma. Yeah, it's really sweet. Wow, that is. Yeah. And and yeah, that's a common belief too that like birds are kind of symbols of a. Uh, uh, people's souls or lost loved ones and everything like that. Um, that's a lot of cultures uh, have have believed that um, from Native Americans to uh, Europeans, cultures all over the place. So it's it's really cool and, and really sweet to hear. Yeah, yeah, it was nice. And then I think it came at the perfect time because my grandfather was just being very sad. You know, he it was during the winter, it was cold, he was lonely, and this bird just came and it changed everything for him. So. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Well, thanks for telling that story. Yeah, thanks for letting me share it. It's great. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll go ahead and uh, wrap up talking a little bit about cardinal breeding. There's just so much I could talk about with cardinals. Um, I was trying to like keep everything to like some of the like more interesting, less well-known facts. Um, I won't go into the details of like their nest and everything like that because that's easy to look up. I also just wanted to note that the uh, cardinals are kind of different from uh, a, a lot of other birds and that the female will sing also. Usually it's only the male that will sing to either attract a female or defend territory, uh, but the female cardinal will also sing too. It's different from the male call, like very uh, distinctively different. Um, when they've done studies where 
soundology, people that like study sounds when they look at the way the waveforms are and the patterns, um, it's like, it's totally different from the males um, acoustically. And whereas the male usually sings a song of down slurs and two-hearted whistles ending in a trill, that kind of cheer, 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 birdie, birdie, birdie. The, uh, and then they do lots of other calls that chirp that they, that metallic chirp that they do. The female will also sing too. She won't sing as often as the male and she'll sing at different times too. The male will sing like from the moment he's starting to establish his territory until they're done breeding. And the female, she'll only really sing a couple weeks before nesting and kind of around the time of nesting. So we think that the, the female kind of sings to like reinforce her bond with the male. She sings a similar song to the male. Um, however, while the male sings kind of the same song over and over again, a very structured song, the female will kind of add more variation to it. And we think that's because she's not really singing to defend territory. She's kind of like singing to kind of emulate the male and like, and reinforce a bond with him. Um, I told Chris, our metaphor for it was kind of like, you know, a guy that loves to play a video game. And so his girlfriend like plays it with him, even though she's not really good or not really interested just to like, you know, spend some time doing, doing what he likes. <laughs> but let's see, let me just check real quick to see if there's anything else I was going to say. Oh, this is another cool little fact. I won't really talk about their nests very much. Like I said, they can have like two to three um, broods in a season. Usually they'll lay like about two to five eggs at a time. However, there's a really high mortality rate for young little cardinals, um, which is why they have to have so many broods. But um, they'll kind of nest in the same areas as a lot of other birds, like catbirds, robins, song sparrows. And there actually was a case found where a cardinal was sharing a nest with a song sparrow. Like there were song sparrow eggs in there. There were cardinal eggs in it. They hatched like both the song sparrow and the cardinals were taking care of each other's young in this nest. Which, like, <laughs> yeah, which is kind of cool. And I said earlier, their population is about 120 million globally. Um, their population actually is increasing and it's spreading further and further north. It used to be you don't really see a cardinal pass like Pennsylvania or like much into the Northeast. Um, I read accounts where like if a cardinal showed up in Maine, people would literally drive like hundreds of miles to see it. Um, and now they're like common up there and that's from warming temperatures and everything. So they're able to move their range a little further North. There are some areas like the, you know, those little subspecies I was talking about. There are some areas like I think in uh, areas in California, where because of urbanization and habitat destruction, they are in danger of going extinct from those areas. But in general, they're kind of spreading and doing well. And actually, we think that the cardinal population in North America was a lot lower before Europeans arrived and started chopping down all the trees because they don't like deep forests, really. They like forest edges and meadows and that kind of stuff. So, you know, once people start 
clearing a bunch of uh, these mature forests, the cardinals were able to flourish a little more. So yeah, that's, um, that's about it I wanted to say about cardinals. Um, anything you guys want to chime in about from the stuff I said? Nothing mm. I can think of. I feel like we learned a lot. Yes, I'm learning <laughs> on the cardinals. Yeah. yeah, Chris, you're going to be an expert now here at the second time. It's cool, though, I know. Yeah, there's virtually anything. For being such a common bird, there is really so much to learn about it. It's so yeah. Fun. Right, yeah. Yeah, so I definitely encourage everyone to kind of look at them with new eyes, really look at those females, how different they are, and kind of make whatever cardinals you see around, either on your walk or in your backyard, kind of a case study and kind of learn something about them. As always, I'd like to wrap up with a uh, myth, and, myth and legend about cardinals, if that's cool with you guys. Yes. I love this one. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is a pretty good one. So um, cardinals, since they have kind of that wide range, they were known to a lot of different Native American tribes. Um, the Cherokees associated with them with the sun, kind of probably based on their red color. And I saw that the Pueblo tribes um, saw the cardinal as a directional guardian associated with the South, and they would kind of use the cardinal in, in their um, navigation. And then other tribes would associate them with weather, such as the rain or lightning, that uh, the singing of the cardinal would kind of predict what was going on with the weather. However, I want to um, read this one Cherokee tale that I found about the cardinal, which is called How the Redbird Got His Color. We so, <laughs> what? <laughs> I said, we know this. Yeah, we do know this. <laughs> but now, now we'll know the other way, too. So um, in the story, um, there's a raccoon and a wolf. And so the raccoon loves to tease the wolf. And one day he was teasing the wolf so much that the wolf became angry and started to chase the raccoon through the woods. Um, but the raccoon, you know, being super clever, was able to stay ahead of the wolf until they came to a river. Um, and instead of jumping in the river and trying to swim away, the raccoon climbed up a tall tree and looked over a branch into the river. And when the wolf came up, the wolf looks into the river and he sees the reflection of the raccoon. And so he thinks the raccoon's in the water and jumps in. And the, the wolf starts flopping around, almost drowning. The raccoon's laughing and just kind of runs away. The wolf finally gets out of the water and he's so tired he falls asleep and the raccoon comes back and plasters mud onto the eyes of the, of the wolf. So then the wolf wakes up and the mud is dried onto his eyes and he's just like, help me, someone help me, I can't see. Um, and finally, um, a little bird um, hears his cries and comes over to help him. And he's like, what's the matter, brother wolf? And the wolf tells him, you know, woe is me, can't open my eyes. And so the cardinal says, uh, or not cardinal, sorry, the little bird <laughs> says, I'm just, a, I'm just a little bird, a little brown bird, no, nothing special, um, but I can help you see again. And the wolf says, thank you. If you help me to see again, I'll take you to a magic rock that oozes red paint and I'll paint your feathers. So then the bird starts pecking away and he knocks all the dried mud off of the eyes of the wolf and the wolf can open his eyes again. And he's like, thank you bird, now jump on my shoulder. And they run away into the woods and the wolf takes him to a rock that oozes red paint. 
and the wolf reaches up and picks a twig from uh, a tree branch and chews it until it's soft like the end of a paintbrush. Then he dips it into the red paint and paints the feathers of the little brown bird, turning it into a red bird. And that is the cardinal that we know today. Love it. <laughs> I think that happens. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a lot better story than Canthax Anthon and Aztax Anthon <laughs> coloring its feathers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, guys, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Chris, I hope the second time's a charm here. Yes, Anna, I love... Well, the second time as it was the first time, so... Yeah. <laughs> Anna, I love the story. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. Of course. Thank you, thank you. All right. Well, um, thanks, you guys. And anyone else listening out there, let me know what bird you want to hear about, and I'll do a show about it and you'll learn some new things. Oh, yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, guys. And thank you, everyone. Stay dirty, my birdies. Dirty Bird Podcast is recorded by me, John Chanusik, with our rotating panel of guests and co-hosts. Thanks, you guys, for being on the show. Our theme song is composed by Ricky Pistone, a.k.a. Dick Piston. And our outro music is by the Sidewalk Slammers. Check them out wherever you get your music. Our logo was designed by my beautiful fiance, Lauren McClure. Special thanks to the talented Jessica for contributing her avian artwork and photos. Follow Dirty Bird Podcast on Instagram and Facebook and send us listener mail. I'd love to hear from you about what you think of the show, what birds you've seen recently, or any questions you have. Email us at dirtybirdpodcast at gmail.com. If you can, Subscribe to the show on iTunes or Spotify and leave a review. Thanks for listening. I've been a bed on some horses at the track. Drive into Brooklyn, ain't never coming back. Tim's on the ground in the concrete jungle. I might get into a little rumble.